Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard, and with me today is Ben Seeger-Scott, Head of Multi-Asset Funds. We're going to be looking at whether the current rally in markets can last in the face of weakening economic data. We're recording this remotely on Tuesday, the 6th of December, 2022. Before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Okay, welcome, Ben. Um, now, there's been a meaningful rally in equity markets since mid-October. Can you say what's been the main driver for that? Well, I think the main factor has really been this expectation that inflation may finally be peaking. And that really gives central banks some scope to stop the aggressive rate hike, hiking. And obviously, that's had a really positive effect on sentiment in the market. And has been the main driver, I think, of this recent rally. And is there anything else going on in the background? Any other sort of factors that have come together? Well, I think there's there's always lots of things in, in, in the mix. I think some of the other contributory factors in particular has been earnings season. We've just come out of a major earnings season and actually earnings have held up pretty well. And that means that the fundamental basis still looks relatively rosy. And that's obviously, I think, helped as well. That gives investors something to hang their hats on. I think it's also worth highlighting you know, some of the recent success that Ukrainian forces have had on the battlefield has impacted as well. Obviously, the conflict there is taking on a different dynamic, but that's certainly helped. And I think to, to evidence that if you look back to the start of October to now, European equities have rallied 18% on the back of that. So there's lots of different dynamics in the mix. I think it's fair to say that it hasn't been a kind of popular rally. I mean, lots of people seem to be dismissing it as just a, you know, a bear market rally. I mean, what's, what's your view on that? Do you think it can last? Well, the challenge is you never know whether something's a bear market rally until post that. Um, and obviously around this time, there's always a lot of volatility. There's lots of uh, lots of different prevailing views and sentiment. Now, I think it does have some hallmarks of a bear market rally. So if you think about these things a little bit more technically, often you get a rally because there's indiscriminate selling, positions gets oversold, it creates some bargains, you get opportunistic investors. You also get, I won't go into the technical details, but you get short covering as well that can drive some of these rallies. So often there's a technical element. But as I said just before, it's worth remembering there are fundamental drivers as well. The outlook is a little bit less bad earnings are fairly robust uh, and, and so that those those robust fundamentals can mean that there's a little bit further to go a lot of it uh, really depends on on how the inflation outlook progresses from here and it's probably going to be bumpy and is it um, altering your your positioning at all is, has it changed your thinking not not specifically we tend to take a medium-term view have an outlook and a path and uh, and observe the, the undulations and take advantage of specific factors within that. And I think broadly markets are unfolding in a broad envelope 
in 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 the direction we expected. Um, so nothing specific. It has created a few opportunities to reposition in line with with our general thinking. Uh, particularly the recent equity rally has created a little bit of an opportunity to take some profit and redeploy that into areas such as such as bonds. Okay, thanks. And um, in the in your most recent asset allocation guidance, you you've been tentatively sort of guiding towards a a higher weighting in conventional government bonds. Um, what shifted your your view on that? Because obviously that's not a view you've you've held all year. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, it's it, to, to sort of ex explain why we're becoming more positive. It's it's important just to briefly recap that our, our the recent history and our view of that history. And for several years, we've taken the view that you know yields have been at rock bottom levels. And that means after a 30 year bull run in government bonds, bonds can only really go one way. Yields can only go higher. That means prices go down. So they've looked unattractive. And it's been an area that we've been avoiding for several years. Um, and come the start of the year, we saw that sharp move in conventional government bonds. And the speed of that movement has been surprising, but not really the direction. And most asset classes have a pricing point where they start to become more attractive. And because of that move, that's what's making them more attractive. To, to simplify, I'd say there's sort of two key triggers that has, that has changed our, you know, changed our stance. The first is that the key risk and concern in the markets seems to be shifting from inflation to growth. And when you have inflation concerns, that's bad for bonds. But actually, when you have growth concerns, that's a more positive environment. So we could see some support there. And secondly, the long term yields, and we tend to look at the sort of 10 year government bond, that's a typical benchmark. The yield on offer for those types of bonds is actually higher than expect than the equivalent expected inflation, certainly adjusted to be a CPI measure over that term. So it means you're actually getting a positive real yield. So a positive yield of the effects of inflation. And those two factors are really the triggers, I think, to, to make the asset class appear more attractive. And I mean, it, it feels like it's been an awfully long time since bonds have fulfilled that kind of traditional role in a portfolio of income generation, capital preservation and diversification. I mean, they certainly haven't done it for much of this year. But do you think now they can do that once again? Uh, I, I actually do. You know, bonds are back, baby. I think <laughs> if you if you look at the dynamics, crucially, it's that switch we said before. The fact you're being paid to wait, all the other benefits, capital preservation, diversification. But in the meantime, if nothing else happens, you're being paid a real coupon and that makes it uh, much more attractive. Nothing, of course, is ever certain. I, I, you know, we're not trying to call the top in yields. That's incredibly hard to do. But at these levels, they do look more attractive. I think it is important as well to say when you look at your non-equity portion of your portfolio, you want to be diversified. I think the days of just equity and bond allocations are probably behind us, certainly in the broad sense. Um, so you want to look for diversification in that non-equity allocation as well. And just finally on, on the sort of uh, fixed income area, I mean, where, are you, where do you sit on corporate bonds today? So corporate bonds are another part of diversification within fixed income. Uh, the thing to remember with corporate bonds they have some features of, of government bonds. They, they tend to price off that, that base rate, but they also have an element that's correlated a little more with equity. Obviously, 
when you buy corporate bonds, you're hoping that the underlying company doesn't go bust or or, or default. And when you have an economic downturn, that becomes uh, a little riskier. But for that, you tend to get high yield. You're offered more compensation for the risk you're taking. And taking all that together, we like corporate bonds, um, but I think you want to keep the maturity on those shorter. So short dated um, corporate bonds look relatively attractive. By going to short duration, you're less exposed to to interest rates. So you have less interest rate sensitivity, but you get a higher yield um, for, for that credit risk that you're taking. And really, the short dated element seems to be uh, a little bit of, of a sweet spot. So you get an attractive yield without taking on too much more either interest rate risk and the credit risk is is more limited than if you took a, a full duration. So short dated bonds look like the sweet spot there. Great. OK. Um, now, as you mentioned earlier, there's there's been marginally better news on inflation, both in the US and Europe in recent weeks. Um, a, what's causing that? I guess, B, are you encouraged by it? And C, is, is it, could it be enduring? You know, could it be a more weak, a sort of permanent weakening of inflationary pressures? Well, I, I think it depends on the time frame that you're looking at. What we've just gone through, uh, the, this spike in inflation really has been abnormal. And that's what's caused all of the, the damage to markets this year. And I, and I don't think that extremely high interest rate environment is sustainable obviously it has happened before in the 70s there are lots of different dynamics uh, at play at that time and i think we really had lots of different factors coming together obviously energy prices caused by the war in ukraine impacted but it wasn't just that you've got uh, a lot of demand you've got tight labor markets you've had strong wage growth at a time when supply has been continually constrained we are still coming out of a lot of the the covid factors and if you look at areas of the emerging markets, particularly China, the challenges they've had. You've had a lot of demand whilst, whilst supply has been squeezed. And that now seems to be working through, through the system. Indeed, through the course of early next year, you might see energy prices become disinflationary forces because they're very high prices last year compared, compared to this year. So I think a lot of those factors mean inflation uh, is peaking and is now starting to come down. Um, and I think that is likely to be an enduring uh, an enduring scenario. What I would say, though, I don't think we're going back to the incredibly low inflation, almost suppressed inflation we've seen for much of the last decade. There are still a lot of baseline inflationary forces. And if inflation settles down to a level we think will be sort of at or slightly above central bank targets, maybe in the two to four percent range for the medium term, that's very much an investable environment but that's higher levels of inflation than we've seen for the past few years. So I think the acute phase will dissipate, but I think inflation will steady at a slightly higher level than we've seen before, which does involve being very specific on your investment strategy. US jobs data has been seen as the big swing factor for the Fed in terms of changing its sort of interest rate outlook. Um, what are you seeing there? I mean, does that still have to kind of come off significantly before the Fed's going to change its mind? Well, I think that what the Fed, and, and frankly, all of us are looking for is coherence in all of these signals. And it just follows logically, when you have very high employment, workers can demand more wages, more wages is more money to, to pump into the system. And that more money creates inflation and velocity and all these other factors. 
and that's why people focus very much on jobs if if you start to see job numbers falling if you start to see a, a tougher environment then you would expect inflation to, to dip on the back of that the problem is that u.s jobs data is very noisy and and i'd expect the trend to start coming off and the fed would take um, some comfort from that but it is very noisy so it's quite difficult to see the other thing to remember we know that when you have recessions unfortunately that does tend to lead to, to job losses but there's it's not a leading indicator it's a lagging indicator you tend to get the recession first and then corporations start to, to, to lay off workers in response so it's quite difficult um, and the job data is probably what's going to drive the volatility really i think there are some tentative signs both inflation is cooling and job numbers are starting to steady. If you look at the number of vacancies uh, compared to the number of applicants, uh, you tend to have a lot of applicants for every vacancy that's starting to come in. And that's hopefully a, a sort of lead indicator to, to broader cooling in some of those numbers. But I think the Fed is really going to be keeping a close eye on that. That's why we focus very much on, on the rhetoric from the Fed as well as the numbers. So do you have a view on what the Federal Reserve will do after inflation rates start to fall, I mean, assuming that 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 happens, um, will it reverse course immediately, or is it going to keep rate high rates high to ensure inflation is like fully under control? Well, this is something that the strategy team here have been really focusing on. Have created three different scenarios. One is that sort of Goldilocks soft landing where they get all of their calls right and avoid a significant downturn. That seems unlikely the few sort of um, optimists think that may happen. Um, the base case, though, is really the Fed is looking to get interest rates above inflation. Now, that's not the extremely high inflation now, but as that inflation tends down over, trends down over the next couple of years, at some point, rates will be higher than inflation, and that's really an important point to help, uh, to help the economy cool down and come back under control. Now, I think what's difficult to, to, to figure out is what the Fed then does. The Fed is talking up this talk that is going to raise rates and leave them there at that restrictive level for a period of time to really stamp out inflation. What they're worried about is, uh, you know, a bit like putting out a fire. You've got to keep an eye on the embers so it doesn't just reignite once you take your eye, your eyes off things. And the Fed is really hot on that. The challenge, of course, if you have high interest rates, inflation falls and we go into a recession, there'll be huge pressure on the Federal Reserve to do something to intervene to kickstart economic growth. And I think there's going to be a tension between what the Fed intellectually wants to do and keep interest rates at that sort of controlled level versus the political pressure to intervene in a falling market. There'll be a lot of news stories. Inflation is low. The economy's stalling. The, the Fed and the, and the Bank of England uh, and, and other central banks need to intervene. So how it moves through that is, is going to be difficult. They've laid a lot of groundwork, though, to, to hold the line. So I think their inclination is to get interest rates to a restrictive level and try and keep them there. They may be forced in time to, to dip uh, a little bit, um, but I think they're going to try and, and keep it restrictive. I don't think this is going to be a period where they hike for a year and then just immediately cut it back to where it was before. Okay, and just finally, um, do you have a kind of central scenario for the global economy in 2023? Um, or do you think actually it, it, there are so many variables that it could be any one of a number of outcomes? And, you know, is, is it as plausible to have a reasonably shallow recession or 
a really severe recession. So just give me your thoughts on that. Well, as you say, lots of lots of different scenarios. We've got the sort of envelope of outcomes. But if you're asking about sort of central base case, the, the scene is set, I think, for a, a slight slowdown, maybe a slightly longer. So less a sort of short, sharp, painful shock, maybe a protracted slowdown. Obviously, the Bank of England um, think we might be in a recession throughout next year uh, in the UK. And that's not uh, that's not implausible. But I don't think it's going to be a particularly severe recession. Now, obviously, those affected, it's going to be unpleasant. But I think in the grand scheme, economies do do benefit from mild recessions, a cleansing of the system, taking money out of unproductive assets to redeploy them ultimately into productive assets. And I don't think there's this environment where you have something like the global financial crisis. When you have financial crises, they're deep, they're painful, and those scars really last in the economy. But we don't have that sort of financial contagion element. Banks are relatively robust. Corporations have solid earnings. A lot of the debt that corporations have, they've pushed out quite far. So actually, corporations look relatively well positioned in aggregate to, to survive a mild downturn. So I think if you're looking broadly at the scenarios, the most likely one is for a shallow recession. Much of that is priced in. But of course, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong uh, along that road. So managing your money very carefully is going to be crucial. Great. Uh, we'll wrap up there. Um, thank you, Ben, for those insights today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Um, all references and lines spoken about in this episode could be found in the episode show notes. And you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including Ben's latest asset allocation update. Daniel Casali will be back with us in the studio for our next podcast episode. And we'd love for you to join us if you can. Uh, please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so and rate and review us in the App Store. Until next time. <laughs>